Good morning, church. And let me just echo Jordan's comments about wishing all of our moms a very happy Mother's Day. We are so grateful for you. We know that you are facing many, many unique challenges right now. Uh, and uh, we just wanna wish you a happy, restful, blessed Mother's Day. Thank you for serving your families and being a vital part of our church. Um, church, it's a, it's a great week. Today we're having online service, I know, and maybe we've gotten used to this, but next week uh, we will be meeting face-to-face -face once again. Well, I say we. Unfortunately, I won't be here because I am due to travel back to the United States on Monday, and uh, I have a pretty long journey, actually, because of all the cancellations and whatnot. Uh, what turned out to be a, what's supposed to be a one-day flight has kind of turned into a three-day trip, and uh, but uh, we are excited, Stacy and I, to be going home and raising our support and, and uh, meeting with churches, whether in person or virtually. And uh, we just covered your prayers during this time. Uh, it's a difficult time to leave. And I, I was just sharing with Jordan on the drive over here this morning that there's some guilt associated with leaving right now. And I want you to know that my heart is for you and I will be praying for, for the church. Uh, I am so grateful, I'll tell you, that God has sent Jordan and Shay here uh, and brought Scott and just called him in a powerful way and, and just brought support um, so that Stacy and I are able to do these things. And, and uh, we're just thankful for you, church, uh, because you are a volu volunteering church. You're a giving church. And I know that even in our absence, uh, you're going to do fine. You're going to do fine. I'm just going to miss seeing your faces. I didn't, I didn't want to leave this way. I didn't want to, uh, some of, like I said, uh, uh, during the YouTube live event, there are some of you that I'm not going to see again, possibly for a very, very long time. Uh, families that are PCSing and, and moving on uh, before we come back in July. So anyway, church, I just want you to know I, we love you and uh, I'm going to miss seeing you. Stacy's going to be here for another month before she joins me in June. Uh, but uh, we're thankful for you. We're grateful and we're glad that the church is able to come back together. Today, church, uh, I'm privileged to preach. I love preaching the Word of God, and, and today is no exception. As we talk about kingdom authority, I'm going to be preaching in the book of Mark uh, today. So if you want to open your Bibles or go there digitally to Mark chapter 1, we're going to be skipping around today. And as you might have noticed, we have skipped around in the, in the Gospels. Uh, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are gospels that follow a very similar similar timeline. And so we kind of go back and forth between them, but we're continuing the story in our journey through the Bible, even though it seems like we're skipping around a little bit. And today, as we talk about authority, um, I'm reminded that this is a word that we have a love-hate relationship with authority. I mean, we love having authority. We love uh, when we are in, in charge and in control, but we sometimes hate being under authority, especially we hate being under authority if we're under the authority of someone who we don't feel is as bright as us, as creative as us, or uh, as competent as us. We don't like being under that authority. It's funny how it works. But what's interesting about authority is how we respond while we're under authority often says a lot about us uh, when we wield authority. I think this is why it's often said the first step in becoming a great leader is learning how to become a great follower. And that's very, very true. This probably isn't new to many of you, but uh, that idea of learning how to follow uh, helps us become great leaders. 
And today, but we're not talking about authority that's given to us by our corporation or the company that we work for. We're not talking about authority granted to us by our rank or our position in the military. Today, we're talking about kingdom authority. We're talking about an authority that supersedes all authority, an authority that has no equal. And this is the kind of authority that Jesus had, kingdom authority, and it, 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 it just so possessed him and made him so different that everybody took note of him. He was no ordinary man. He was no run-of-the-mill religious teacher. Jesus was extraordinary and he possessed an authority that is unique to Creator God. And he demonstrated that authority in word and deed. In Mark 1 and 2, Jesus reveals his power he proclaims his purpose and he displays his compassion. And these three points are what we're gonna focus on today. But before we open God's word and read, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today for the opportunity to gather around today a screen and explore your word. God, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us through your word. God, that the power of your word would penetrate our hearts and God, that we would be different today as a result of this study in the Gospels. I pray your anointing and blessing upon every home, every living room, every kitchen where people are gathered today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they, were in, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered into the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in this, their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Here in the first passage of Scripture, we see Jesus revealing his power. And he has come against the, his, the, the great enemy of God, Satan, or his demons. And uh, I find it quite interesting that early in the Gospels, we see Satan everywhere. Uh, Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan. As he comes out, it, the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness. And there he is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by Satan. And uh, here we see Jesus beginning his public ministry. And again, demons are there to oppose him. Now, we studied the Old Testament together. And as I was thinking back, how many times... Did we mention Satan? How many times did we encounter demons in the Old Testament? With the exception of Job, very few. But here we are in the very early Gospels, and we're finding Satan and his demons everywhere. Why? Threat. Threat. The moment Jesus was born as a baby in a manger, Satan sought to destroy him. Because as Jesus entered into humanity, it spelled, it spelled the beginning of the end for Satan and his demons, and they know this. And they are forced to come out of the shadows, out of the whispers in men's ears and the evil that is behind everything, 
and they are forced to, to show their themselves through demonic possession, through open temptation, through these, these, these uh, evils in the world. And every time Jesus is confronted by Satan or one of his demons, and they try to throw down with him, he crushes them. I mean, just utterly crushes and ends them. How does Jesus do this? Does Jesus get violent? Does he, does he beat it out of the man? Does he slap him? Does he, does, he, does he force him out of the synagogue? Like, what are you doing in here? You're demon-possessed or you have an unclean spirit? No, Jesus just speaks. Jesus just speaks. Through his words, there is power. Through his words and in his words, there is power. You know, there may not have been anything about Jesus in his appearance that made him stand out. Maybe there was nothing majestic about him that made him seem like royalty. The Bible tells us that he was, he was ordinary in appearance. But there was something about how he talked that made people stand up and take notice. There was something about what Jesus said and how he said it that made people pay attention. When Jesus spoke, people listened. Throughout his ministry, he was always the most important person in the room. People were always attentive to what Jesus was saying. I remember the story, and you probably do too, of the wedding of Cana, in Cana. Uh, and Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, you know, what, what about the situation we find ourselves in? And, and uh, Jesus says, hey, it's not, it's not the time, this is not the place. But Mary turns aside to the servants and says, whatever he says, you do it. Whatever he says, you do it. Because she understood that there was power in Jesus, that, that, that he could do anything, that he was the most important person in the room. Jesus spoke with authority because he is the authority. He was there from the beginning. He will be there at the end. Jesus is the goat. Jesus is the greatest of all time. It's not a basketball player, it's not a baseball player, it's not a football player, it's not any politician or anybody else. Jesus is the greatest of all time. He is always the most important person in the room. We would do very well to remember that. When we're in meetings or VTCs or, or one of those Zoom meetings, no matter where we are, or even if we're meeting in person or we're in church, whatever, whatever it is, Jesus is the most important person in the room. Jesus is the most important person. He is the greatest of all time. All creation is in Jesus. All creation is in him. By him the earth was made. Through him we draw the first breath of salvation. In him we have hope for eternal life. And with him we will be for eternity. Church, Jesus is the greatest. He speaks and it happens. He speaks and it happens. Can you just get your mind around that? All it takes is a whisper. All it takes is Jesus speaking into any situation in your life, any situation in the world, and, and it can completely be changed. Your situation can be changed. The circumstances can be changed with one word. God spoke through Daniel about Jesus. He said this in Daniel 7, 14, and to him was given, to him, to Jesus was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Church, I wanna, I wanna tell you, and this isn't a promise for me, but this is the word of God, that there is still power in the word. There is still power in the word. The miracle working power of God is still at work today. The gospel is being established and being reestablished throughout the nations of the world. Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, submitted to Christ and emboldened by faith and his authority over all creation should be praying and expecting miracle working power in their lives. He is still the way maker. He is still the miracle maker. He is still the same Jesus. He is still working. He only needs to speak into our situation and it would be transformed. Now, I, I don't know if you can tell if this is being transferred via video, but this is something to get excited about. This is something for the church to stand up and shout. This is a reason for us to be hopeful, even in the midst of the most dire circumstances. This is the hope of the believer. Jesus is Lord. He is in control and there is power in his word. He is still on the throne. Wherever you are, say amen. Now we move on to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And we see Jesus after an exhausting day of ministry, rising very early in the morning, verse 35 says, and while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everybody's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Isn't this interesting that Jesus went away to a desolate place to pray and then the disciples came and found him. Jesus knew that the best time to get alone with God is before anybody else is up. Just like a lot of you know that the best time to work out and hit the gym is early in the morning before anybody else gets there. You know, you try to beat the crowd to the gym so you don't have to wait in line for the machine. And you can stay focused on your workout instead of standing around waiting for somebody to get off the bench press, right? And here Jesus is getting away and, and making time to pray. Because that's, that time's his own. Nobody else was willing to get up and do that. So he, he knew that that was going to be his time. That was going to be his, his refuge. And uh, maybe Jesus was praying 30 minutes. Maybe he was praying two hours. But whatever the situation is, they came and found him. Because Jesus' ministry had begun, His, he'd become famous, he'd become needed. And uh, those needs uh, often imposed upon his time praying. But here, Jesus, as he responds to the disciples uh, who come looking for him, he doesn't respond in anger or frustration, which maybe I would have, or you would have. But he says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. Jesus here is proclaiming his purpose. Jesus is telling his disciples why he came. He came to proclaim the gospel. Jesus came to reveal the heart of God for his people. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. When we see Jesus, we see a picture of the heart of God. We see a picture of our Father God. Jesus also came to announce the kingdom. Jesus preached a very similar message to John the Baptist. 
Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came to preach and announce the kingdom of God. And his miracles reveal the presence of God's kingdom. His healing of, of the, uh, uh, the man with an unclean spirit. Later on here, we'll talk about his healing of a man cursed with leprosy. And, and we see that as Jesus heals, this um, demonstrates that the kingdom of God was very present with Jesus and his ministry. Jesus also came to redeem humanity. He came to give eternal life. He came to give us access to God. And Christ came to establish the church. This, this last one is one that we don't really think of very often. We think about all the works of Jesus, but the fact that Jesus came to establish the church says a lot about us. It says a lot about who we are to be, what we are to be doing. Jesus established the church. He calls us his bride. You know, this week as I'm getting ready to leave, I, I, uh, I can't help but reflect about how blessed I am to have such a wonderful woman by my side, about how much I love her, honor her, and cherish her, though I don't always act like, act like it. And uh, I, I, am, I am just uh, sometimes overcome even with emotion, just thinking about how lucky I am to have a woman who loves me for me. But as Paul said, this is just a, a reflection of how much Jesus loves us. Marriage is a, an institution that is, is um, likened to the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. As much as I love Stacy, as much as I cherish her, as much as I feel blessed to have her by my side, Jesus loves us all the more. Jesus cares for us all the more. He provides for us all the more. He loves his church. He loves you, he loves me, and he loves his church. He loves his church so much as he gave his life for her. Jesus' purpose continues through the church. His purpose to reveal the heart of God, his purpose to redeem humanity, his purpose to give eternal life, his purpose to give access to God in the establishing of the church. This continues. Matthew 28, 18 says this, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus's purpose continues through the church. We are the body of Christ and his purpose in the world is being fulfilled through the righteous activity of the church. And this is very important. Everything good the church does, everything good the church does, feeding the poor, clothing the naked, preaching the gospel, all of these good things, these are the righteous, righteous activities of the church. These are the things that Jesus commanded us to do. Are there corruptions in the church? Yes. Are there liars in the church? Yes. Are there hypocrites in the church? Yes. Because the church is not Jesus. The church is the bride of Christ. There are imperfections in men. There are sinners in churches, that's for sure. And if you think there shouldn't be, um, I'm sorry, you're going to be sorely disappointed. There are always going to be sinners in the church. There are always going to be people who act selfishly, sometimes pastors, sometimes leaders, uh, and sometimes egregiously so, without remorse. But that does not diminish the fact 
that the church is Jesus' chosen vehicle to bring hope to the world. That's the truth. We are plan A. There is no plan B. We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations of the earth and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why that's our mission. That's why it's on the wall downstairs. That's why it's on our documentation and on our website, because that is the mission of God given by Jesus Christ to the church. This is what we ought to be doing, proclaiming his purpose and fulfilling the will of God on earth today. Lastly, in our last passage, we see Jesus displaying his compassion. Jesus here in Mark chapter one, verse 39, displays an unbelievable compassion to a leper. Go with me to verse 39. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Here, Jesus does really, he just breaks a ton of rules. He touches a leper, which would make him ceremonially unclean. And he, he just, with one word, just says, I will be clean. The, the compassion of God. You know, there's a difference between pity and compassion. At least I believe there's a difference between pity and compassion. And here in the scripture, it says he was moved with pity. But elsewhere, in other translations, it says he was moved with compassion. And maybe in the original language of the text, these words were a little amb ambiguous. However, I believe today in our, in our language, we have, in our English language, we have two words, pity and compassion. And I believe there's a distinct difference between these two. See, pity is sympathetic sorrow for one who is suffering. We can be sympathetic with someone. And I think that's a good thing. We should be sympathetic and empathetic and, and, and uh, uh, feel a little bit uh, um, for the unfortunate circumstances of others. But compassion is the act or capacity for sharing the painful feelings of another. So if pity is identifying with someone, Compassion is sharing someone else's burden. We can identify with somebody else's burden. We've all been through hard times, but compassion is being moved in such a way by that pity, by that empathy, that it moves us to action and we do something about it. So instead of just identifying with somebody, we're sharing one another's burden. Isn't this what the gospel encourages us to do? To share the burdens one with another. It is good to be sympathetic, that's for sure, but I would say it's better to be compassionate. Jesus could identify with the burdens of others, but so could the Pharisees. You know, we see the, we see the story of the Good Samaritan, and we see the religious leader pass by. He certainly felt pity. He certainly felt maybe even empathy for the person, but not enough to be moved with compassion and respond. To follow in the compassionate nature of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to be moved. Let me just say that one more time. To follow in the compassionate nature of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to be moved. Jesus went throughout Galilee. How exhausting, how inconvenient, how selfless. That people were flocking to him, crowding him, so that even those who were very sick couldn't even get to him. 
How, I mean, how exhausting that must have been. Those who wish to minister to others must be willing to live as Jesus did. We must be willing to be moved to action, to, to share the burden of those around us. We must position ourselves in such a place as we are able to help others. What do I mean when I say this? I don't mean just physically. We don't just need physically to be in the right place, though that is an important component, right? A, a person who lives a monastic life within the contemporary church is missing a, a great part of what God has commissioned us to do, which is to go out to all the world and preach the gospel. You can't go out to all the world and preach the gospel if you are always in the church, if your kids are always in the church, your kids never engage with non-believers. You never engage with non-believers. We must position ourselves physically, that's for sure. But we also must position ourselves financially, all right? We are not in a position to help other people financially if we spend every dime that the Lord brings into our, our stewardship on ourselves. If we finance ourselves, if we, if we put ourselves in debt up to the, uh, to the top to where we can barely even pay our bills, we're not positioning ourselves in such a way as that we are able to help others. And uh, something fundamentally has to change in us. Uh, for us to prioritize and create a margin in our lives that we're able to position, be in a position to help other people. We need to have money in savings. We need to have money set aside. I remember a couple in the church, they paid their tithes and their offerings and they were faithful to do so, but they also paid into an envelope in their house. And in this envelope was a wad of cash. And this cash was there in case God had ever brought a situation into their lives that they felt God was calling them to meet. And they, they did it. They met those needs. They were able to do that. that. That was just such a great idea. But that was just one way that they positioned themselves to be a blessing. But we need to be physically positioned and we need to be financially positioned. I would say we also need to be spiritually positioned. Right? We, need to be, we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to abide in Christ. So when that moment comes, and that's exactly what Jesus is demonstrating here as he was off praying. He knew what was in front of him. He knew that he'd be praying all day. He knew he'd be working all day. And so what's he do? He gets up earlier and goes out and prays. Why? Because he understood that strength didn't come from sleep. Strength came from the power of God working in him and through him to heal these people, to bring deliverance. It was the power of God working in him. He wanted to seek out the will of the Father before he started his day, that he would be directed to the right people, the right time, and the right moments, and that everything would take place just as it should. Church, I encourage you. I, I mean, I, if you're praying in the evening, God bless you. That is, I, and I'd rather have you praying uh, in the evening than not praying at all. But there's something about the model of Jesus here. There is something about the model of the great men and women of God who have gone before us, a model of prayer early in the morning, looking for, asking God for opportunities to manifest his compassion to the people around us, asking him to open our eyes, direct our steps, uh, no matter what we think is before us. I'm not talking about praying for every meeting you have or every, 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 uh, uh, every little activity of your day. What I'm, what I'm encouraging you to do is pray for open eyes and open hearts to see where God may divert those plans to something kingdom-minded. Be willing to look and see with wide open eyes where Jesus is leading you and guiding you. And I wanna tell you that most likely, wherever God is leading you and guiding you, it's gonna be inconvenient. It's gonna be uh, an addition to, not an instead of. And so, um, 
think about that. You know, if I, I've come to the point now where is if my plans are inconvenienced, uh, I almost instantly jump up and just do whatever it is because I know God has ordained that. And so, because I've just, that, that's experience talking, uh, that there's something great in, in uh, those little small inconveniences of our day. Uh, if we refuse to give in and, and uh, uh, take advantage of those opportunities, I, I believe a lot of times we're missing out on some of the greatest spiritual experiences um, in our lives. Church, as I close, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that there are definitely tribes of Christianity that would say that the time of miracles has passed. They would say that miracles serve their purpose by, val by validating the ministry of Jesus and, and the ministry of the early church and establishing the early church. To those who would deny the miracle working of power of God, I would ask these questions. If miracles validated the divine nature of Christ then, when he was among the people, why not now when he is working through the people? Why not now? I would also ask, when did the church stop being established? If miracles were given to the church for the establishment of the gospel around the world, when did we accomplish that? When is that done? Well, I think scripture is pretty clear. It's done when Jesus comes back. It's done when Jesus comes back. There is no indication that the power of God working through believers has ceased. And some of these skeptics and tribes of Christianity that deny the work of the Holy Spirit through the believer, they're called cessationists, or they practice cessationism, which is the, the absence of the workings of the Holy Spirit in miraculous signs and wonders today. If, if that's true, when did the gospel stop being established? I'll tell you, being in a missionary family, I hear stories every single day of the gospel being established. I hear stories every day of God working through miracles. And I, wanna, I also want to tell you that as a missionary in this church and as a pastor in this church, I have experienced the miracle working power of God. I have witnessed the miracle working power power of God. God is no less, Jesus is no less compassionate today than he was when he was walking around proclaiming the gospel. And Jesus had a mission. He was, he was there to proclaim the gospel, but he wasn't so focused on that that he didn't take time to, to work with the people around him, to meet the immediate needs of the people around him. People may argue salvation's all that matters. I would point out that's not all that mattered to Christ. Suffering mattered to Christ. Sickness mattered to Christ. Possession mattered to Christ. And I would also argue that compassion and salvation are not mutually exclusive. I would argue that they're partners, that they're partners. We can't just preach salvation without compassion and we can't just dispense compassion without giving the life giving message of Jesus Christ. We can't, they work together just as they did in Christ's life. Compassion and salvation are not mutually exclusive. They are partners. Jesus came to die on the cross, praise God, but he also ministered to the needs of the people around him as they presented themselves. Church, let us be doing the same. Let us be focused on preaching the gospel, but let us not, let us not use preaching the gospel as an excuse for laziness or selfishness. 
Let us be sharing the gospel, but also being moved with compassion to do something about the circumstances of those around us. We ought to be looking to Christ every day, church. We ought to be expecting his return. And until that day, we ought to be found ministering among the people as he ministered, looking for needs and meeting them. For he has put tools and resources in our hands to meet the needs of the people who are suffering around us. And if meeting them is beyond our resources or beyond our ability, then let us pray and ask God to help us meet them. I believe he is still moved with compassion to alleviate the suffering of this present age. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your miracle working power. I thank you for the compassion of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you were not afraid to touch the leper, that you were not disgusted by his deformities. And God, that no matter what we are facing, you are not disgusted, God. You are not turned away, God. You are not dissuaded, but your compassion flows today, God. Your compassion moves in the hearts and lives of your people, God, that you have established the church Lord, as your body to meet the needs of those around us, God. I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that you would embolden the church, that you would position the church, and that you would ready our hearts and minds to be moved with compassion, God, and serve those around us. And I thank you, Lord, that your miracle-working power is not dead. It is not abandoned. I thank you that the work of establishing the church is still happening today. God, would you fill your church with power? Would you fill your church with anointing, God? And would we go out in your power, in your strength, establishing the church in every nook and cranny of the earth? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I pray you have a wonderful Sunday and that you enjoy a wonderful Sunday as a church coming together next week at 9 o'clock and 10.30. Make sure you check your email for which service you have elected to or been assigned to. Um, some people elected to try to come to one service and praise God we were able to meet almost all of those requests. Uh, I would say 98% of those requests were met. Uh, maybe a couple here and there didn't, we couldn't work it out, but almost everybody got what they uh, asked for in that. Uh, but we ask that you just stick to that plan as we transition the best we can. We ask for grace in all of this too. We're, the church is being confronted with something that, that none of us ever expected. And so be, be, have grace with us as we serve you. Uh, know that that's our heart to serve you and, and to be a blessing to you. God bless you. Have a great week.